Good morning and happy new year to all of you. Um, so um, excited for what God's already done in our midst today and what he will do in this moment. Um, but even as I say happy new year, I'm just going to um, say my, my, my topic this morning, my question really is, um, is it? Is it a new year? I mean, yeah, the earth has made another lap around the sun, um, but uh, there's something within us that wants that new year to be a time of a, of a reset, you know, sort of a cosmic reboot. You know, you call IT, you got any problem, they tell you reboot the computer and everything, you know, works. So we just want this reboot to happen on New Year's Day and all of our problems go away and we just start fresh. But is that actually the way that it works? Um, you know, I was in uh, a store with my wife a little bit before Christmas. She was looking for um, some items there, and they had all of these Christmas uh, decorations out on the shelves. And I happened to look up on the very top shelf, uh, and in some clear plastic storage bins was like New Year's stuff that was just like ready to go. You know, like they were going to move it right down, celebrate New Year's. And then, of course, I uh, went in stores last week, and man, they've already flipped it over. It's all Valentine's Day, I guess. January doesn't get anything, but, uh, you know, we just have this cycle, right? We have this cycle that we go through. I mean, does anybody remember bulletin boards in school? Like, I guess it's a class for elementary school teachers, like bulletin board design, because that was a thing when I was a kid. I remember, you know, they would change out those bulletin boards every month. You know, in September, it was like falling leaves, and um, October was like Halloween or pumpkins or something, and November was going to be Thanksgiving and pilgrims and things like that, and of course Christmas in December, and then January was like snowflakes and snowmen, even though we lived in Alabama and that never happened. You know, but each month had a theme, right? And it just they just followed one after the other. I didn't really notice it as I was growing up, but as I look back over my life, it's like there was a liturgy. You know, there was a uh, a cycle that we were in, and and it wasn't just a way to decorate. There was a certain amount of like trust built into that cycle, you know, uh, subconsciously maybe. It was like things are good. Like there's a sense of stability about that, that things are happening like they always happen. The, the calendar is moving along, and we're at that time of the year again, and it gives a sense of, of confidence. And yet, you know, one of those themes was, was, again, January and New Year, and this idea of a new start and a new beginning. And as we get older, it's like, well, it doesn't always really happen that way, does it? I mean, who, who else had that experience where you look up and it's mid-February and you're like, all the things I said I was going to do different back in January, that's, I've forgotten all about that. I'm just going about life the same as I did last year. And, and not only personally, but I mean, it's like the whole world experienced that on a whole new level uh, last January, right? You know, there were all these memes and tweets about we're so done, you know, with 2020, we're so ready for 2020, 2021. It was like just another year the same. I mean, I, pe I hear people referring to now, like the past year and a half-ish, you know, like it's all one time period. Like the year somehow didn't actually change. And we've, we've had our faith kind of shaken and that idea that we can just decide to make things new on January 1st, and that's going to somehow make it. So the question is, we, we want a new year. We want it to be new. We desire that. But how do we actually make it? A new year. You know, Isaiah and uh, the prophecies that he gave had a rather somber word uh, in chapter 29, verses 1 and 2. And, and the setting here is that 
Uh, he's speaking to the people of God at a time when for many years God's prophets had been warning them that they had gone into idolatry. They were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping false images of God, and they were consequently disobeying God's law. They were not loving their neighbors. They were oppressing their neighbors and doing violence and, and breaking God's laws. And over and over, the prophets were warning them, if you keep doing this, Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by its enemies. It's going to fall to its enemies. It's going to burn to the ground. You're going to go into captivity and exile. You need to turn it around. You need to uh, put away these idols and these false gods. And they had continued to ignore for the most part, the message of these prophets. And so Isaiah comes along at one of these moments, and he's speaking prophetically. He's calling uh, Jerusalem by the name Ariel, which means like a burning altar hearth. And so he's calling Jerusalem Ariel, this place where they would come to worship God. They would come to offer up their sacrifices uh, and, and, and this burning fire. But he's saying it's, it's not going to it's not going to go well for you. You're going to have that burning fire, but not from the altar. It's going to be from destruction. And so he speaks to them, and he says uh, this, Woe to Ariel, Ariel, the town where David encamped. Go ahead, keep your annual feasts, and year after year celebrate your annual festivals. But I will bring distress to Ariel, and there will be great mourning. Jerusalem will be to me like what the name Ariel means, a burning altar hearth. And so it's like he's, he's saying this idea like uh, the people seem to be trusting in these annual feasts, this annual cycle of holidays, and, and they would come around and they would worship the Lord and they would go through the motions. But he's saying that's not going to just rescue you just because you keep going through that process. And he, he continues down in verse 13 to diagnose their problem. He says, this is what the Lord says about these people. They come near to me with hollow words and honor me superficially with their lips, all the while their hearts run far away from me. Their worship is nothing more than man-made rules. See, Isaiah is challenging this people who've given their hearts to idols, and he's telling them, you can't just flip the calendar and call everything new. You can keep doing year after year and do your cycle of festivals and so forth, but it's not going to make you new. In fact, he's giving them this idea that you can't go into a new year and expect it to be new if you're still holding on to the old idols, the idols from last year. You know, when I, I used to read as a kid in the Old Testament about the people of God and idolatry, and I would think it was either one or the other. Like either they were worshiping the true God of Israel, or else they were worshiping the false gods of the nations. They were either, you know, praising the Lord, or they were bowing down to these, to these idols. But the reality, as I read scripture, is they, most of the time they were doing both. They were worshiping the God of Israel and the gods of the nations around them. They were worshiping the Lord and making false images of who God was and bowing down to them. And so there was this um, uh, syncretism, this joining together of things that should have been separate. And I think if we're honest, that's where a lot of Christians are. I mean, yeah, we follow Jesus. Yeah, we worship the true God. But also, there's little corners of our hearts, right? Little areas of our affection that are not fully devoted to God, little places of darkness um, within our souls. And so I believe that our God is a patient God, but he's also a jealous God. 
His love for us is too passionate and too intense to simply be okay with that, to be okay with us worshiping him and these other idols and these other ideas that we have in our heart and these other affections and priorities uh, that we put ahead of him. He's going to pursue in love to have our whole heart devoted to him. And so he will be patient and working with us, but he will never be complacent in simply leaving us worshiping idols alongside of him. You know, my own experience has been that there's been periods of time in my life when I thought that I was, had become like fully devoted to the Lord. Like I thought I was following the Lord with my whole heart. Like I had really put everything on the altar and fully surrendered to him. And then situations come up uh, in which the Holy Spirit would use some situation to just like shine a flashlight into my heart and show me something that had not yet been surrendered to the Lord. You know, I think that I'm trusting in God alone, and then some financial crisis comes along, and I find out, oh, I'm, I'm actually still trusting in money. Or I think that I'm just trying to please the Lord with my life, and then some difficult decision comes along, and I find out, oh, I'm, I'm actually still trying to please people. Or I think that I'm loving my neighbor with all of my heart, and then some opportunity comes along to serve someone in need by sacrificing myself, and it, and it affects my comfort or my safety or my security, and I find out, oh, I'm actually still harboring some selfishness, some selfish ambition, and, and some putting myself before others. The Holy Spirit keeps shining this light and showing these areas, and sometimes I'm tempted um, to despair in those moments and think, well, was I ever really following Christ? I mean, was it just a, uh, was I just a fake? Was I just a hypocrite? I thought I was following the Lord and now he's convicting me, but I believe the Lord speak to us, speaks to us in his mercy and he says, no, you, you were following me with your whole heart as far as the light had revealed. But now I'm shining a light on a new area. And the question becomes now, will you continue to follow the light? Will you continue to yield to me what I'm showing you to yield now? Or will you turn away? Will you cover up? Will you pull back and say, no, I want to hold on to that area? We've been following with our whole heart, and I believe God is pleased with that. But yet he comes and he tests and he tries our hearts. And in his love, he pursues us and he pushes us to release more of those idols that would draw our hearts away from him. And I don't know what idol or what affection the Lord would be putting his finger on in your heart today to show you, hey, this is something that's become an issue in your life. This is something, maybe you haven't noticed it before. Maybe you have never even realized it was an issue. But when you look at it now, in the light of the Spirit, you realize, I'm giving my affections to this in a way that's crowding out God's voice in my life. I'm giving my time and my energy to this in a way that's not allowing me to do what God's calling me to do. I'm, I'm putting an idol in front of the Lord or alongside the Lord, and the Spirit is speaking to me and calling and challenging me to become more fully devoted to the Lord as we begin this new year. Here's why I believe this matters, uh, especially right now in the life of our church. You know, if I were to just look at what's happening within our church uh, within Fraser here, as uh, as Pastor Chris was saying, we've we've had some difficult 
uh, times, but we've seen God working. Like I sense God at work. I hope that you sense that, that there's a, a movement of the Spirit here. There's a newness here. There's a, there's a unity. There's a desire to pursue God. We're, we're poised at a moment to make historic decisions that can launch us into a whole new era of pursuing Christ and his mission in our region. And so we sense that God is doing a work within us. And if I were to just look at that piece, then I would come in this morning and be like, Happy New Year. Everything is going awesome. Let's just keep doing more of that. But then there's also moments like a few weeks before Christmas, I was invited to come into a meeting with some other pastors with our chief of police. And she's just pouring out her heart about what it's like to be the chief of police in a city that just had more than 75 murders last year. And I'm watching young men the same age as my oldest son killing each other in the streets not far from where we sit. And I can't say all is well in our city. And that's on top of the economic struggle and the generational poverty and injustice and, and the educational setbacks that we've had, not only through ongoing problems in our city, but certainly made worse by the pandemic, and we're all struggling through that. And so there's this tension between God is doing something new on the inside, but when I look outside at our city, there's a need there. I would say that's true of our society as well. I think we're just beginning to understand the tragic consequences of what it means when we describe our nation as a post-Christian culture. We've never been a perfect country, and in many ways what we're experiencing now is our past sins simply coming to a reckoning, but at this moment in time, we're hardly one nation. We're certainly not undivided. We don't have liberty and justice for all. And it's because again and again, we've chosen not to be a nation that's under God. There's problems on the outside. And many of us may have that experience, not just generally, but maybe this is your experience personally. Like in your life, maybe you're a new believer. Maybe you've had um, a recent time of coming, um, uh, of renewing your faith. You're pursuing God in a new way. You're seeing him work in your life. You've seen some changes happening uh, within you, and yet outside of you, you see circumstances around you that seem like they're just getting worse, or the problems that don't seem to want to change, or especially people, right? People are always the real issue. People that oppose you, that seem to be against what God is trying to do in your life, maybe even people in your own family. And so there's this sense of God's doing something on the inside, but there's this opposition, there's these problems on the outside. And here's why I think it's so important that we allow the Spirit to speak to us and to speak to our hearts in these moments about the idols within us, because our natural response in these moments is to go to war. But I believe the godly response is to go to work. And here's what I mean by that. When you have begun a new phase of, of growing in your walk with Christ, you look at your own life and where you've come from. You say, well, I used to be in this level of sin, and I've changed, and I've been transformed by Christ, so I'm different now, I'm better, so I must be in the right. And therefore, these people that are opposing me, they must be in the wrong. So naturally, what I need to do is go to war with them. Now, I'm I want to be very clear. The scripture tells us we do have a spiritual enemy and we are called to fight a spiritual war and to stand up against that enemy. But the scripture is also very clear that that enemy is never flesh and blood. And when we fall for the temptation to go into warfare mode against the people that we feel like are opposing us, the problem is not only do we cut off the very people that God may be calling us to reach, but perhaps more importantly, we miss the opportunity to hear what is it that God wants to do in my life 
If, we'd, if we're so busy going to war, we're not going to go to work on ourselves. And I believe our greatest opportunity to be transformative agents in our culture, in our city, in our families, and the people around us is what does God want to do in me? What deeper work does he need to do in my own life so that I can be used by him to reach others around me. See, if we're shouting at the world, we can't hear that still, small voice of the Spirit speaking to us. I mean, isn't this what happened with Jesus and his disciples? They, he called them, and they answered. They began to follow him. He was pleased with them for that. They followed him. They began to see miracles. They saw God at work in their lives and through them in the lives of others, and they thought, now we're, we're on a roll now. We're following Jesus. Things are going well. Now, Jesus, let's, you know, come on. Let's go to war. Let's take on the Romans. Let's take on the oppressive powers of evil, and Jesus says, yeah, we're going to take on the oppressive powers of evil, but here's how we're going to do it. Put your sword down. I'm going to walk into Jerusalem, and I'm going to surrender. I'm going to hand myself over to the very people that I'm trying to save and they're going to kill me because I'm going to fully surrender myself to the Father. I'm going to go and I'm going to pray, not my will but yours be done. And in that full surrender, in that relinquishing of everything to the Father, I'm going to have righteous suffering and that very suffering is going to be the means of redemption. By his blood, by his broken body, all of us were redeemed and set free and the enemy, Jesus triumphed over the enemy, but not by going to war with people, but by saving those people, by having a deeper work in himself. And then he called his disciples and he said, this is, you're going to do it the same way, the same way you saw me do it, that's how you're going to do it. You're going to take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me and be willing to suffer for my name's sake to reach others around you. And so that's how he's going to work in our lives. That's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, verses 14 through 17, he says, For Christ's love compels us, because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. See, how do we have a new year? How do we actually make sure that it's truly new? This is, this is the answer for us. He's telling us all who are in Christ Jesus are made new. Does anybody have one of these um, medical spending accounts? You know what I'm talking about? You, you, it's, uh, you decide to set aside a certain part of your check every month to go into this medical spending account, um, and they put it in that account for you, and because you've designated it for medical, then it doesn't get taxed the same way. So um, we have one of those. And here's the interesting thing about um, the medical um, spending account is they front load it. So January 1, all the money for the year gets put into the account um, so that, you know, I guess if you had a medical emergency at the beginning of the year, the money would be there even though you aren't going to pay it in until later. How many understand that when you came into Christ Jesus, your account got front-loaded? You've already received, he says, everyone who's in Christ Jesus, you've already received new creation. Every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus is already yours in Christ. He's already given you every resource you need to overcome every idol of the heart, every, every sin that besets you, every habit uh, that turns you away from God to make you a completely new creation in him. You've already received it. But how do we, how do we actually access that account? Paul explains it for us. He says the way to access the new creation, how to have that new life that's already been given to you in Christ is by dying to yourself. 
by dying to your old self. He says, for we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them. See, I believe that many of us have repented from sin, but we've not yet died to self. This is the deeper work that the Holy Spirit wants to do within us. When we die to self, it's more than just changing an outward uh, behavior. It's actually dealing with the motives of our heart. It's more than just keeping the rules. It's relinquishing the right to make the rules. It's more than just doing things for God. It's obeying the living voice of God on a moment-by-moment basis. It's walking into that new life that he's given us by being willing to die, not only to outward sin, but to actually die to ourself and to relinquish every idol that the Holy Spirit would show us. And notice, as we do that, as we change that perspective on, on who we are in Christ and walk into that new creation, it not only changes ourselves, but it changes how we see other people. He says, we, we now, from now on, we regard no one <clears throat> We regard no one from a worldly point of view. We once regarded Christ this way, but we do so no longer. In other words, every person that you meet, wherever you go, no matter how they act, no matter how they speak differently than you, whether they agree with you or not, whether they vote differently than you, look different, whatever, every person that you meet is a person for whom Christ died to redeem them. It is a person who can be completely made new. If we see Christ, then we will see that in other words. He he says, we used to see Christ in a worldly way. We don't do it any longer. Therefore, we see others completely differently as well. Because we know what Christ has done to bring the new creation, we can look at every single person and say, you could be completely new. I can believe that you can be a completely different person than who you are. And therefore, it's why he goes on in this chapter and says that he gives to us the ministry of reconciliation. He sends us out to reconcile people to God, to reconcile them to ourselves, to reconcile them to one another because we see others differently because we walk in this new creation. He's given us this ministry of reconciliation. I believe we can let the world have its ministry of cancellation if the church would just walk into its ministry of reconciliation. And so what would this new year look like? If it actually was a new year and we actually said, Holy Spirit, test me, try me, show me if there's any wicked way in me, if there's any affection in my heart that's given to an idol, I'm willing to follow that light and continue to to allow you to purify me, to bring me into greater holiness and to bring me into a full devotion of my heart, to bring me to the point that I truly die to myself so that I can live as your new creation. We go back to the prophet Isaiah, and in chapter 61 I think he gives us a picture of what that kind of a new year would look like. Jesus attributed this scripture. He, he personalized it. He said, when you hear this scripture, it's fulfilled in me. But I think he would also say for us to personalize this scripture, that it can be fulfilled in us as we follow him into his new creation. And so as I read this description of a true new year, I hope that you would personalize it for yourself. Isaiah says, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to comfort the brokenhearted and to proclaim that captives will be released and prisoners will be freed. He has sent me to tell those who mourn that the time or the year of the Lord's favor has come, and with it the day of God's anger against their enemies. To all who mourn in Israel... 
He will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. In their righteousness, they will be like great oaks that the Lord has planted for his glory. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, repairing these cities destroyed long ago. They will revive them, though they have been deserted for many generations. That's a new year. That's a new year. A year when God's people, by the anointing of his spirit, bring revival to our city by allowing God to do a work in our own hearts first. And so as the band uh, is going to come and lead us in a song of response, Lord, we just want to pray right now in this moment to you. Thank you for your blessing on us so far. Thank you for how far you've brought us. Thank you for how you've worked in our lives and blessed us, brought us to Christ and, and led us to deliverance from the sin that chained us in the past. Right now, Holy Spirit, we receive your further work in us. We believe that it's out of your love that you discipline us. It's out of your love that you shine that light within our hearts to show us the places in our lives that we're still given over to the idols of this world. Speak to us now, we pray. Lead us into this new year, ready to die to self, to surrender everything to you so that we might be your agents of reconciliation to the whole world and bring revival to our city and our nation. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen.